is The Issue Window with Alvy and Brittany. We are airing out the laundry to clean your soul. Just kidding. You're going to leave with more stains than when you entered. Listen at your own risk. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for episode two of The Issue Window. It's going to be just Alvy and myself today, as previously warned. Good morning, Alvy. Good morning. <laughs> uh, and as promised, Alvy is going to share some of his uh, favorite equipment room stories with us today. Ooh, I'm so excited. But before we jump into all of that, um, of course, we're all still here in quarantine. Um Got any uh, COVID-19 updates for us in the last 24 hours, Alvy? Uh, well, Ohio just gave the shelter-in-place order, so we are pretty much stuck here now. So, join the other states, some of the other states that uh, have done that. So, we are sheltering in place. Our, our cases went from 247 yesterday to 351 today. So... Onward and upward. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately so. Uh, yeah. I don't necessarily have any, you know, any updates on my end, you know. Obviously, Illinois is still shelter in place um, as it was. So, no real, no real changes there. Nothing really going on. There's not a whole lot after that unless we go on just complete, utter lockdown. So... Of course, we're still kind of counting the states, I guess, that are that are going under shelter in place. I'm sure there's going to be a couple more, you know, as the days progress. Yeah, as it progresses, I'm sure there will be. But because of that, I'm sure we all could use a laugh. Um, Alvy, do you want to jump? Do you want to jump into one of your your equipment room stories? Did you say that this one had something to do? Are you going to do the the one that you said that was called like the blue vase or something? Was that the one you're going to do? I'll I'll do that one second. Uh, I'll give a little I'll give a little travel story first because we've all had travel nightmares. So I'll just do a little travel story first that people can appreciate. So one time I forget where we were flying to, and really the, it's it's unimportant. But we were flying somewhere, and we had everything loaded under the belly of the plane. So, and really it's I know I'm getting older because you know before nine eleven. We just buckled up to the plane and gave the keys to the the van that our truck gave the keys to one of the baggage handlers at the um, airport, and they take the truck and put it alongside the gate and drive back out there when we got back the next night. But you know, now since after nine eleven, things changed, which you know it's pretty it's pretty dumb when you think about it because when we do fly the equipment, which we don't anymore, but when we do fly it, we used to fly it. We would go there, unload the whole truck, then take the truck outside the gate, park it out in the airport somewhere, and then go through security. And it's like, somehow I just don't think that made sense. But, you know, that's what they told us to do, and that's what we did. So you were driving, okay, so you were driving the truck. Is this now? Well, in in recent, is this, you know, post 9-11, you're driving the truck into the like airport gates where like all the planes are and then like leaving it we would uh, or is that we would we would drive it inside the gates unload it 
and then drive back out and then go through TSA to get security checked. Okay. So, okay. So, As opposed to like now, what would you well, do? Well, that's what we do now. Before, we would just, you know, go through the gate, unload the, unload the truck into the plane and then just leave the truck there on the, you know, beside the tarmac. The guys with the air, the baggage handlers would move it somewhere close and then just get on the plane. But now we have to go completely back outside and go through TSA. Not that, you know, you know, we put three, four tons of stuff on the plane without it getting checked through, through security. So, yeah, whatever. You know, they're just worried about the, the bombs you have stuck to your ankle. Yes, yes. They're worried about the bombs we stuck to their ankles. Okay. So, anyhow, so so we got there. We usually got there about an hour before the team got gets there. And, uh, and beforehand, we always sent a manifest to the airline saying, you know, this is everything we have, the trunks, the bags, these are approximately what it weighs. And so they would balance, they could balance the load properly. And usually most, most times they just have us put the stuff in the back and maybe a little bit of stuff in the front cargo hold. Um, you know, and they, but they, it was pretty easy. You know, it was never, nothing too, too specific. But then one time we got there and the loadmaster came out to greet me as I'm backing up the, uh, truck to the um, back of the plane, the back cargo hold. And he gives me, he, he says, well, listen, this is what we're going to put, we're going to do, we're going to do something like 15 bags in the front half of the back compartment, and we're going to do another 10 in the back half of the back compartment, and then we're going to put all the trunks behind the door. And it's like, well, we're not going to do that. Well, he says, well, you know, you, you have to do that because I'm the load master and that's the way I got designed to work. And it's like, well, that's not going to work. And I said, have you seen these trunks? And he says, well, no. And I opened the back of, the, back of the truck and he sees the trunks and it's like, oh, well, yeah, that's not going to work. And it's like, okay. So I tell him, you know, usually we do this, 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 and this. And he says, well, uh, how do you, how do you know what it weighs? What do you, how do you know how much? And it's like, listen, you know, usually the airline, the pilot comes out and just says, do this, do that, or just you know whatever, and we do it, and that's it. Yeah, okay, and so can, give me an example of how you would normally load the plane. What would that look like? We would normally put all the trunks in the back, surround them with the bags so they don't move too much around in the cargo hold, and then. If we got anything left over, mainly bags, we would just put that in the front. So the front maybe had two to five hundred pounds in it. Not nothing really too much. Usually, most of it was in the back. Okay. And usually, with you know, it was a shorter runway. That's the way the pilots preferred it, so they get the nose up easier, I guess. But with shorter runways, I guess that was better. So, <clears throat> regardless, so. So at this point, the loadmaster goes to me, well, what we're going to have to do is you're going to unload everything on the tarmac and then as it goes on the plane, tell me what it is and I can check the weight off. It's like, oh my goodness. So that's what we started doing. So we got everything spread out on the tarmac beside the plane and we start throwing on things like we normally would. And he's jotting things down and adding things up as we go along and 
go along, and then and then uh, the team shows up at this point, and they're starting to get on the plane, and we're still loading the plane, which is you know we're way behind schedule for this. So we keep doing this, and finally we got we got the loadmaster happy, we got the backpack, and now he's going to go. He's going to put the rest of it on the front. So at this point, I take the truck out and go around front, go through TSA and talk to uh, talk to our business manager who takes care of the, the travels for us. Tell him what's going on and he's just rolling his eyes and it's like, yeah, I know. And so we get loaded up. We get through, t- we get through security, get on the plane. Head coach is there and he looks at me he's like, what's going on? And I tell him the whole story. He's he's a little peed at me, but, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> but uh, so anyhow, so we all get on and we're all sitting there waiting and they finish loading up the tr- the, the, um, the plane and and then the loadmaster comes back on and he says, we're like, I don't know. It was three, four hundred pounds too heavy, and it's like, how can we be that heavy? I mean, we can't be that heavy. It's, you know, it's, we've taken this stuff before. It's like, this is well, you're too heavy, and it's like, so we start thinking, what can we leave behind? You know, can we leave a couple people behind? <laughs> you know, things like this. We start thinking, what can we do to get get three hundred pounds or so off the plane? Oh. And uh, and so. And we're talking, me, the business manager, head coach, and we're sitting there just talking. And then he goes, the loadmaster goes to the flight attendant. He goes, hey, do you got any carry-on space available in here? And she goes, yeah, because you know, we, had, we had a whole bunch because there really wasn't a whole lot of carry-ons because everything was packed underneath there. You know, kids had a few backpacks, but they kept them with them, things like this. So the overhead bins were pretty much empty. We said, well, we can bring... If we can bring so many bags from down there and bring them up here, we'll be okay. And then we all looked at each other. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, because underneath it's considered 35 pounds and up here it's only considered 20 or something like, something, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And it's like, it's it's all the same weight. It's all the same. Yeah, so, we can, so that's what we did. We got some bags, some of the players' bags, took them off, off the bottom of the plane, put them in the overhead bins and then he signed off and told us we was good to go. <laughs> yeah. After at that point, the head coach looked at me and says, I'm not pissed at you. We ain't never going to fly this airline again though. If this guy's on, on, on this with us. So he realized what I've been going through at that point. Once we, once we found out, Hey, we'll just take bags and put them from one place to the other. They'll weigh differently. Then it's like, Oh geez, are you kidding me? So that was, um, yeah, that's how we flew one time. But had you had you flown that airline before? Oh yeah, it's us- you know usually we have a year long contract with them, and you know, but that's the first time we've had the loadmaster himself with us. Usually it's just a pilot, but yeah, that's, we had an actual loadmaster, and he was going through all these little things, and then we get to that yeah debacle with the uh, yeah just bring the bags from underneath to above, and then we, we'll make weight, and it's like oh. Yeah, so that I don't know that must be common common core math or something like that. So, yeah, I guess it weighed differently once you put it in the other other bits. Maybe he was just having a bad day. 
Or maybe it was his first day on the job. Was he a young guy? No, he was an older guy. Maybe he's just a little. He maybe he's just a little bit on the slower side. Maybe he's just I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, he was a middle-aged guy, so I don't know. I don't know what his deal was, but he yeah. Everybody was sort of rolling their eyes at him. I think even the flight attendants were a little baffled what he was doing. So yeah, how about that for a little travel story? Hmm. <laughs> oh well, I'm sure that there's a. Uh... There's definitely, you know, several equipment managers out there that, that can relate to that and and stuff. I uh, Oh, I'm sure. I do know, you know, for, I've definitely heard some have some stories coming out of Hawaii about, you yeah. know, them flying all all of their equipment over and some some of that has been been an adventure throughout the years. Hopefully I can get, you know, somebody from over there over there on. Yeah, cuz I mean, yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, weight's a whole uh, whole different story whenever whenever you're flying that far. So I'm sure that they've they've had some adventures too. Sure, sure. I'm sh- I'm sure Al and the crew has some great stories. Yep, absolutely. So would you consider that your probably like worst road trip story, or do you think it's probably my most maddening one? It just it just made you pull your hair out i definitely think that i've heard some worse road trip stories from you in the past at least like what i've kind of like heard definitely probably couple couple years ago during uh i believe was that ama or was it afca i believe it was afca when you had to go get one of your trucks Oh yeah, from the championship game. Yeah, that's that could be a whole other one. We could we could go on for that one for a while too. We'll save that one for another day. <laughs> yep, it's pretty it's a pretty good one. Okay, that's fine. We'll do, maybe we'll do a whole a whole uh, whole segment on like championship like stories and and stuff because there's a you know there's always a whole lot of whole lot of baggage that goes along with all of that. So, well, I I do got it. I do got a championship story for today. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse. Uh, it's you know, and it goes back to uh, our first national championship at Youngstown State. Jim Trussell's first national championship, and he'd been at Youngstown State for uh, five years. Had been to the playoff three times prior to that. Actually, we were undefeated the year before that, eleven zero, and then. Um, First round of the playoffs, we lost at home on a last-second field goal to Central Florida. Our only home loss in Stambaugh Stadium, still to this day. To this day, and that was the 1990 playoffs. So we get to we get to 1991, and um, there's high hopes in there, you know, for it, and we have a good feeling about the year. We think we could do well, and we start out. Okay, we have a bad game against Delaware State and lose that one and win a few more games and then we lose against Akron and then we lose to Liberty and we head into the bye week and we're four and three. And so you know, we get a fourth loss and you're pretty much out of the playoffs at that point in nineteen ninety one. And the bad part is is we're heading down to Georgia Southern Right after the right after our bye week, 
to play them. They're the defending two-time national champions. We are going to their house. And actually, they end up being the same scenario as us. They actually end up being 4-3 to three when we played them the following week. So there's a lot on the line for this game. Hypothetically, though, just from what you're telling me, you guys probably should get crushed, right? Uh, maybe not get crushed, but it's, it's definitely an iffy game. It's definitely, a, the game could go either way. Okay. The game should go either way. But they got a lot of things on their side, you know, being at their home team and things like this. But uh, they're reeling a little bit themselves. We go down there. And before we go down there, um, on Thursday night, Jim Trestle tells the story of the Blue Vase. And I ain't going to get into that. Um, it's a long story. You can actually Google it and hear the story yourself about the Blue Vase. It's uh, it's an older story. Is it his story? Oh, just to clarify, is it? No, well, it's, it, is, it, is his, it isn't his story. It's uh, it's It's out there. It's an older story from I think World War One era or something like that, but the but the crux of the story is is getting the job done no matter what obstacles are put in front of you. You know, just getting the job done no matter what you got to do, just get the job done. Okay. And but like I said, you can you can Google the Blue Vase story and hear the whole thing yourself. And this was his like speech to the team. He was yeah he was he was. He was telling his team this. He told the team the story. Okay. So, uh, you know, back then it was very common for teams to have a Friday walk through at the stadium they was playing. So we get get down to Statesboro and we have our walk through and whatnot and whatnot. And so, after the practice, we're heading back to the hotel, and there's a there is a creek that runs through the Georgia Southern campus. It's called Eagle Creek. And that supposedly was their, you know, mythological, that's where they got their mythological power and how they're so good. It was their lucky creek. So, well, it just so happened that year that the national championship, that had been there last three or four years, but the national championship that year was going to be hosted there, which is the way they did it back then and things like that. So anyhow, going back to Eagle Creek, so we are going back to the hotel after our Friday practice and he stops the bus right by Eagle Creek. He gets out. He picks up. A, he, he pulls out a blue vase. He goes down and he goes down the creek side, Eagle Creek, dips the vase in the creek, brings it back on board the bus and says, we're going to bring this back in December. And all the kids go nuts and it's crazy and things like this. And so... So now, we're carrying around a blue vase the rest of the year. We're setting a shrine up for it in the locker room for all the games. The next year, the next day, we go, we play Georgia Southern. Great game. Great game to watch. A little more nervous, a little more on nerves if you, if you have some stake in it. But we end up beating Georgia Southern 19-17. to It was one of their few home losses at that stadium at that point. We don't lose the rest of the year. We 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 run the table, come back in the December, down there for the national championship, playing Marshall, and 
once again after the Friday workout, we go to the creek. And by this time, and this is what probably killed Georgia Southern's program for a while because they weren't too good. They had a few lean years there after that. But in the meantime, we'd mixed, we'd grabbed, grabbed some Mahoning River water, which is, which seeing some three eyed fish is not uncommon in that thing at that point, especially. <laughs> So to say it was a little polluted is not is not is being a little understatement. So anyhow, what well, we had mixed Eagle Creek water with Mahone River water, and put it into the blue vase and set up a shrine in every locker room we go to. You know, we went when we went when we hosted Villanova. We had a little sh- we had it in our locker room as a shrine. We, when we went to Reno to play them, and they had, they were I believe they were the runners up the year before. And so we went out there, beat them by two points. We beat them, and they missed like a chip shot field goal in the last play of the game. So just, you know, crazy things like that all the way through. And then we play a Sanford team. They came up there. They had, they had not had football for that long, but they came up from Alabama. And they played in a nice, beautiful, I don't know, 35-degree rainy day. So it was just miserable, and we beat them ten nothing. End up going back down to Georgia Southern in December. Get done with the Friday workout. Stop by Eagle Creek, and this time the whole everybody unloads the bus, and we dump the water back in there, and set the vase up the next day in the locker room. Score two fourth quarter touchdowns to win our first national championship, and so the blue vase. Is forever, you know, for anybody that was on that team, and you tell them to blue vase it, they will know what that means. So, just a little story of, you know, Jim Trestle's first national championship. Okay, all right. So, you know, from an you know equipment manager standpoint, this is, I mean, this is fantastic from a player standpoint. But I would love to hear the behind the scenes of you are now transporting. A what I'm going to consider to be a breakable vase. I'm assuming this is not made. Of, I'm sorry. I'm assuming Absolutely. this is not a plastic vase. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Nope. It is a breakable vase, so it is handled with care. Okay. And when you make the shrine, when we made the shrine, we wrapped it in towels, even at, at the base. So even if it fell over on our trunks, it wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't roll. It just. It just. It could pop over and just flop on towels. Yeah. There was a lot of towels involved with this. Okay. And then we had a plastic container of water we kept pouring in with, with the mixed water from the two from the two rivers. Oh yeah, it was a it was a it was a treat. It was a treat to set that up every time. It was it was a little nervy, nervous, like oh, what are you going to, you know, don't make the vase and oh yeah, it was it was a comedy sometimes. And at this point, were you were you a student manager? I was. I was. Okay. Okay. Were you in charge of the blue vase? No. 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 I was just one of the minions. I was just one of the minions making sure it doesn't break. <laughs> we didn't forget it, that's for sure. It was we were for sure that thing was packed. Okay. And do you know what happened to the blue vase after that championship game? It's it sat in Tress's office for for as long as I know. Truthfully, I don't know where it's at today. I don't know if Tress still has it in his office down in the president's office 
or maybe it's in the YSU Hall of Fame up in the top of the stadium. I have no idea where that blue vase is today. Okay, well we're we're definitely going to have to look that up, and we'll get back to uh, we'll get back to all the viewers as to where that blue vase is. We'll track it down. So <laughs> next time you're at Youngstown, if it's there, you can go see it. Yeah, take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't, you know, don't get too too close to it or, you know, lick it or anything. I mean, it probably still hasn't been sanitized <laughs> since it had that uh, uh, since it had that river water in there. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to, yeah. I probably surprised we didn't get sick from that. Oh, man. Okay. Well, uh there's uh two pretty good stories, Allie. Thanks for thanks for sharing those with us. It's pretty interesting yep i'm sure there's just you know i thought you might enjoy them just two of uh two of many oh yeah everybody everybody has their own stories everybody has their own stories yeah i uh definitely have some questions kind of price them more out of you in the future but uh next episode and maybe a few even after that we uh Got some really exciting news that we we have our first guest on. At least that's what the plan is as of right now. That uh, Tim Gallo is going to join us in episode three of Issue Window. It's really exciting. Um, he's uh, he's Albie's partner, and of course we'll introduce him further. You know, next episode. But you guys can uh, look forward to that. But until next time, I hope everybody, like, stay safe and you guys stay sane and we'll, uh, we'll catch you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.